Welcome to the Impact Masters Commission Bible Study Podcast. Join us as we study the Bible verse by verse. I'm your host, Pastor Josh Hawkins. We're going to have some deep, thoughtful, and hopefully helpful discussions to try and discover together what it means to be the followers of Jesus. that we would hear you, God, and that uh, our hearts would be softened and we'd be made able to receive your word, your imperishable seed, that it would go within, that it would take root and germinate and grow, and that there would be a harvest of righteousness for your namesake. Because we have stood and received your word, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Okay, when you think purity, what's the first thing that comes to your mind? Go. Loyal. Loyal? That's interesting. What's that? Go ahead. Okay. Preparing yourself for your spouse. Sure. Sexual purity? Yes. Come on, somebody else. Cleanliness. Come on. Unflawed. Okay. Untouched. So when I speak of a substance being pure, what am I saying about it? Well, I mean... If I said it was pure crap, <laughs> it's just pure crap. Okay, then it's um, exactly yes. And the Greek word that's used in this phrase, pure at heart, is that ha- carries that connotation. It's not so much, when we talk about sexual purity or we talk about whatever, we kind of are thinking along the lines of something not being dirty, it's being clean. But when we talk about pure water, what we mean is that all that's in that glass is water. There's, no, there's nothing else in there. It is pure water. We talk about pure gold. We're saying all that's in that bar or that ring or whatever is gold. There's no no impurities in it. So when Jesus talks about purity of heart, the word means without mixture of a single essence. You with me? Of a single essence. It doesn't mean it's 100% heart. Well, of course it is. The idea is that, that, that all of that heart belongs to one thing. That's what, so when Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, he is not referring to someone who's free from sin or free from, or that has no contamination. And we kind of think of it that way. We think of pure of heart as a person who 
uh, doesn't have bad things in their life, in their mind, in their, in their, but that's not what Jesus, that's not what Jesus is saying. When Jesus says, blessed are the pure of heart, he is saying, blessed is the heart that has a single essence, a single desire, a single focus, okay? A heart that is pointed 100% at one thing. Does this make sense? Okay. A heart that's so a heart that's just one hundred percent after God. Correct. Okay. Now we think about um, my my one of my favorite psalms is is Psalm twenty seven, which is actually um, one of the things that was in our Advent reading for today. And I will open it and read it to you. Psalm twenty seven. Anybody know it? I'm so glad. Advent's been very good for me. And it continues to be very good for me. Okay. Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers assail me to eat up my flesh, my adversaries and foes, it is they who stumble and fall. Though an army encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. The war arise against me, yet I will be confident. And here's where we get to the purity of heart. One thing have I asked of the Lord, and that I will, will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire at his temple. One thing. I think about... Uh, Mary and Martha, right? Jesus is teaching at Mary and Martha's house. Okay, they, uh, he, whenever he went to Bethany, which is the town that they lived in, uh, he was welcome at Mary, Martha, and Lazarus' house. That was their home. Okay, and he would go and he would stay there. And, uh, and we see, obviously, later on, Lazarus being raised from the dead by Jesus because he was known as a friend of Jesus. Um, and, and Mary and Martha were close to his heart. He had spent time there. He had been built a relationship with his family. Well, one of the times that Jesus is there at Mary and Martha's house, Jesus is teaching and Mary is sat at his feet. take her eyes off him. She is a year fight. She won't take her eyes off him. She's, she is so completely just loving, listening to the word from Jesus. It was so important to her. And we get the story of Martha who is running around. Okay. Like my wife probably would have been because my, this is, my wife is an incredibly practical woman. And 
And if there's a job to be done, she's probably doing it. That's just, that's her character, her nature. I'm deeply thankful for that. But Martha's running around. She's doing dishes. She's fixing food. She's cleaning messes. She's making sure that everyone who's being hosted in her home is being hosted well, that things are taken care of, right? Martha is there. She's doing what she needs to do to, you know, and she is getting more and more irritated with Mary. And I, I, I love to, you know, really put myself in these moments. Yeah. Um, I, I just have one quick thing I want to clear up on that. Um, our former student life director, Nikki, um, she, she said something about like this where like, um, you can't have, I've heard people say and her say that you can't have a Mary without Martha or like, what is, do, do you agree with that? Or what does that mean? It goes like, you can't have someone be at the feet of Jesus unless you have someone behind the scenes making sure things are running well. Well, I think Jesus would disagree with that statement. Yeah, I, I want to hear what you I think, uh, um, just because of what Jesus said. And if you see what's going on in the story, Martha is, is doing all the stuff, running to and fro, getting things done, right? And Mary is seated at the feet of Jesus, staring into the face of Jesus, okay? And, and Martha is getting more and more irritated with Mary because Mary is not paying attention to what needs to be done. She's only just staring at Jesus and soaking up what Jesus is saying. And finally, Martha gets so angry that she interrupts Jesus' teaching and says, will you tell her to get up and help me? Right? I mean, how irritated must she have been at this at this point? I, I always think about Martha kind of walking by, giving Mary kind of significant looks like, you know what I mean? Like the buildup to, to the interruption, like, like, or maybe she's standing over there like, Mary! You know, or, or like slamming dishes together in the sink in the other room, like you know, just trying to like, you know, get Mary's attention. Why am I the one doing all the work over here? When, when she confronts Jesus about it, Mar- Jesus says, Martha, Martha, you're worried about so many things, but only one thing is necessary or needful. So, yes, there's, I think, I... I think there's a time to be Mary and a time to be Martha, and I think wisdom knows the difference. How's that? It isn't that Martha's not necessary. Yeah. Coursework needs to be done. But I think that there needs to be a realization that at some point Martha needs to sit her butt down and listen to Jesus. Yeah. Does that make sense? Now, Mary, maybe it would have been a good idea for Mary to like tag... Martha, and say, I'll go do some work while you sit and listen to Jesus for a while. Yeah, Mary should have done that. I mean, that would have been kind, but Jesus didn't say that to Martha, now did he? No, Jesus said, Jesus said, you're not paying attention to what time it is. One of the things that happens, especially in a big church situation like this one, and this happens in little churches too, but is that the people who are involved in making the... Uh, in, in doing the behind the scenes, in, in setting the stage, in whatever, a, a lot of times don't engage with what's going on in the moment. And so they don't hear. I can't tell you how many times I've been in a sound booth 
and the sound guys are talking to each other about, blah, 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 yes. and they're not listening to the sermon. Or, or we leave, we leave a, uh, we do worship and we leave the stage, and the worship team's just kind of hanging out backstage, and they're not actually going in to hear what's being preached. And you know, I'm not passing judgment on anyone in particular, but we're here for a reason. <laughs> And there comes a time when even Martha needs to recognize Jesus is speaking and I need to sit down and listen. Um, And on the thing where you say the big church, small church example, I I actually, when you said that, I actually have thought about that before. Like big churches that have, I'm not picking on the camera crew. Sorry, Isaiah. Um, But um, God bless the camera crew. Oh, yes. But, um, I I just noticed some of I just noticed that like when you to go off the example you said when you're like up there doing like video switching or like if you're like having a camera on your shoulder that some churches you like walking around the stage on your shoulder you're not it's not you're not being engaged in the service it's it becomes more of a job I've heard it becomes more of a job right than the, it does and God. I have definitely engaged in that kind of activity. I'm not saying that that hasn't happened for me. Yeah. What I'm saying is that's the danger. Now the question is, are they engaging in another in another situation? Which is one of the reasons why um, especially when when like when I was here and we had large teams to do sound and blah 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 as I would encourage uh, our the people that were running sound and tech and whatever uh, you need to be spending as much time in the pew as you do in the booth. Um, because there is this tendency to k- carry this Martha spirit of, I'm the one doing all the work and I'm the one making this happen. And, and, we, get to com- and we completely miss what's going on and what Jesus is talking about. We, we don't sit at the feet of Jesus. Now, it's one thing, I will say this, as a pastor, I... I have to be feeding myself. When I'm the one preaching every week, I need to sit and listen to a preacher during the week, at least once or twice during the week. The truth is, I do it a lot more than once or twice. I mean, I probably listen to six or seven sermons every week. Um, but uh, the, Because I need to be fed. I need that, <laughs> just like everybody else. I need to be seated and, and hearing the voice of Jesus. I need that. And so it's important for those of you, and you guys in Master's Commission are often the ones behind the scenes. You're often the ones doing the Martha stuff. And I just want to encourage you, if it's not possible to engage in the service as it's happening, go back later Engage at another time. Does that make sense? Go back later and connect with what was going on in that, in that moment. I would rather, personally, as pastor, I would rather the cameras not be working, the sound system bar- you know, just kind of barely doing what it's supposed to do, yeah. than have sound people that are you know, not in love with Jesus at any particular moment. But it is Mary's, the reason we brought this up is because it was Mary's single-heartedness. It was Mary choosing the one thing. Jesus said one thing is needful. And understanding what that one thing is, is what purity of heart is all about. 
building my life around what is truly important, what really deserves my attention and focus. Uh, I want to look up a quote that I didn't write down in here. St. Augustine of Hippo is is a church father who... Well, he's got some good ideas and some bad ones, but he had, but, uh, but I really like this quote and I always have. He said, speaking to God, he loves thee too little who loves anything together with thee, which he loves not for thy sake. All right, I'm going to read it again. O God, he loves thee too little who loves anything together with thee, which he loves not for thy sake. Anybody know what that means? Is that an Orthodox saint or a Catholic uh, saint? This is prior to the split between the, the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church, so probably both. Oh. He loves thee too little, who loves anything together with thee, that he does not love for thy sake. Is it talking about um, that we love Jesus, we love God way too little, um, that um, what we need for our own health or our own sake, um, we're... um, Nice, nice try, but I don't, I don't oh. think you're there. Okay. <laughs> I took a shot. <laughs> I appreciate that. Okay, this is what it means. It means that what we love is God. We love God, period. That's it. And there's other things that we love, but we don't love them. We shouldn't love them alongside God. We love them as an overflow of our love for God. Are you with me? That God is the one we love and that out of our love for God comes our love for neighbor, for spouse, for uh, child, for family, for friend, that all of those are byproducts, overflows of our love for God. And what what Augustine was saying was, if that's not the case, then what we have is more than one love. An impure heart. We have a heart that is, that is bifurcated. That's a great word. Everybody say it with me. Bifurcated. Okay. It means it's split in two. It's been, we, we have two gods in essence. Okay. Bifurcated. Great word. Great word. Um, it's, that's your big word for the week, bifurcated. But. It sounds know. like it's Latin. It, I don't know why. It's a word I've heard, I've heard many, many times. Is it it's, like a P-H or a... I don't even know how it's spelled. <laughs> hey Siri, how do you spell bifurcated? Bifurcated. B-I-F-U-R-C-A-T-E-D. 
<laughs> there you go. Divided into two branches or forked. That's bifurcated. Okay. <laughs> uh, that's what it means. Did you know you could ask Siri to spell spell things for you? I just found that out the other day. I was like, that is so cool. <laughs> Uh, I, I, I did it uh, yesterday because my wife wanted to spell the word success. And she was like, is it two C's or one C? I was like, hey, Siri. Two C's and two E's. Two C's, two E's, two S's. Success? Yeah. Two E's. Yeah, there is. Or succeed, I'm sorry. Succeed. Not success. Not success. No. It's a... Two, two C's and two E's to succeed. Succeed, no, not success. Succeed. Yes, she has pretty good jokes, actually. I love her jokes. Yes, yeah, that's pretty funny, too. Uh, there's, there's a whole lot of nerds over at Apple, and so if you ask uh, Monty Python-related questions, Siri usually has some pretty great answers. Are you serious? Mm-hmm. Monty Python is a British comedy troupe from the 60s and uh, 70s. I mean, so uh, it is the, just the best thing ever. Um, but Well, I don't know because they get a little blue sometimes. And I don't think you would appreciate it. Yeah, I don't, I don't like, like things that make me ha- sad. I like things that make me happy. Well, I don't mean blue and sad. I mean blue and dirty. What do you mean feeling dirty? N- like, they tell they tell some raunchy jokes sometimes. Oh, I, have, I have some raunchy jokes. <laughs> like, okay, well, I don't want to hear them. In this scene, like, where they do the battle scene and he, like, loses his arm, but he's still trying yes. to fight. Yes, yeah, that, the Black Knight. That's probably his favorite. He quoted it the next time. Well, then you need just YouTube... Monty Python, Black Knight. And, the rest of them are probably like, please don't knock because and, you're uh, just be saying it for the rest <laughs> of the year. Oh, Monty Python has always been my... Well, I know what it is. Yes, but they're, they're wonderful and, uh, and hysterical. And just about everybody that you love comedically loves Monty Python. Yeah, well, I don't know if he loves Monty Python or not. But anyway, it doesn't matter. It's not important. Um... Yeah, but the like the VeggieTales guys used to do little sly Monty Python homages all the time. Uh, oh yeah, constantly. Like like uh, in the first one when the guy comes running in and tells him he's being too silly and he has to stop or whatever. That's a direct Monty Python reference. Okay, um, stop being so silly. That that's uh, that actually happened in the Monty Python Flying Circus show um, several times. They had a cop that would come in in the middle of sketches and be like, I'm sorry, this sketch has to finish because it's far too silly. It has to be finished. And anyway. Uh, Moving on. I don't know, you know. Blessed are the pure in heart. So we talk about, it's, it's about an emotional and values-driven singularity. There is one thing that is important to us. One anchor for every decision that we make, and it is our love for God. 
And that love for God spills over into love for neighbor. Love for neighbor is an outflow of love for God. God gets first place in our hearts, first place in our choices, first place in our in everything that we do and everything that we say. He comes first before all else. That is what pure of heart means. And Jesus says, they shall see God. In other words, what you set your affection on is what you will achieve. Now, here's the thing. something I want you to hear from me, okay? The things that you pursue shape you. The things that you pursue shape you. God does not change. God is always the same, but humanity changes constantly. We are human. We shift and change every single day. I am not the same person that I was yesterday. And I, God gave us the picture of, of his people as the, as the pot on the wheel, right? That's spinning and God's hands are on that pot and shaping it the way he wants to see it shaped. But the, rea- the, the question is, who, who are all the hands on the pot? There are. And we often, well, we often think that, we, that I am me in pursuit of that thing. But who you are will change based on your, what you are pursuing, what you pursue, and the things you give your heart, your life, your attention, your love to, they change you. Which is why Jesus says things like, where your heart is, that's where your, where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. He is constantly telling us to refocus our being on the pursuit of God at all times. There is a very real thing <laughs> that has happened and that I, um, I know you guys don't want me to get political and so I'm going to try, okay? I'm going to try not to. But this is my biggest issue with where the conservative slash Republican uh, party is right now. And it is that instead of pursuing... They have become a party that's pursuing power rather than a party that's pursuing the good of people. Now, they pursue power in the name of pursuing the good of people. And the Democrat Party has done the exact same thing, okay? But as a member, as a, as, as a person who has been a part of the conservative movement my entire life, I'm deeply offended by this happening within our ranks because I didn't think this is who we were. But when our top priority changes, we lose sight of what we want, and it changes who we are. There was a day, there was a day when what we were pursuing was not power, but the good of our nation and our people. And in pursuing that, we were willing to make compromises with people from another party from because we believed in this particular cause that was going to do good things for our people. But we have seen over and over again that the parties are so enamored of power 
that they won't do the things that the people need them to do, because in order to do those things, they have to share credit with someone on the other side of the aisle. Does this make sense? That is proof to me that they're no longer pursuing the good of this nation. They are pursuing power, which to me means we need to flush the toilet, get rid of all of them and start fresh. That's how I feel. Okay. What we pursue shapes who we are. And sometimes we forget. We get skewed off into one tangent or another. Either we're bifurcated where we have two loves and we're going to, the thing is, Jesus said, we can't do that. The human heart is not built to have two loves. The human heart is built to have one love, singular love, from which our, we will love many other things. But, that, but it starts, it begins with, and is all pointed towards the one thing. That's who we are. Do you ever see, anybody in here ever see the movie City Slickers? It's an older movie, and it's a movie about these three middle-aged guys who are kind of sick of life, and they, and they begin kind of moving into midlife crisis kind of territory. One of them is Billy Crystal. I don't know if you know who that is or not, but he's a comedian. He's very funny. The other One of, one of the guys is the guy who does the... Uh, he's the taller... Uh, Robert on Home Alone, the first Home Alone movie. He's also the voice of the narrator on the show. What is it? Wonder Years? Anybody ever watched the Wonder Years? Anyway, these are all old cultural references, I'm sorry. But there's a moment in that movie which uh, there's this old cowboy, okay? And everybody kind of looks up at him in awe because these, these guys all go on this in order to find themselves, they go and they, they, they go to this dude ranch and they be, sign up to become cowboys for like a couple weeks. So they're moving cows from one place to another with, you know, and that's what they're doing. So, because they want to find themselves. And the guy that's leading the whole thing is this old cowboy and his name is Curly. And Billy Crystal looks at him and says, what's the meaning of life? And he goes, it's this. Billy Crystal's like, your finger, the meaning of life is your finger? He says, no, 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 it's one thing. And Billy Crystal says, well, what's the one thing? Curly says, that's what you got to figure out. It's different for everybody. But I would say, no, it's not different for everybody. It's the same. We were created for one purpose. And when God is our core purpose, when loving God is our core purpose, all the rest of human life makes sense. But when loving God is not our core purpose, when our heart becomes bifurcated or impure, we lose our way. Does that make sense? It sounds like it's, it's what you're saying, at least to me, and I could be wrong, but what this sounds like to me is that um, the scripture that says you cannot serve both God and man. Yeah, Absolutely which is in the same sermon as this one, by the way. We just finished that's the from the Sermon on the Mount. That's, the, that's from the Sermon on the Mount, and so is this. Jesus was saying the same thing, just in another way. I just wanted to make sure I was grasping that. because No, that's you're terrible. dead on. Yeah. 
Okay. Any questions on that one? All right. Hey, we're going to try and get two of these done on the same day. Aren't you excited? I know. It's crazy. The next one, I don't know if we can do this without getting a little bit. I'm sorry, but these are political statements. And so I said, but the next one is blessed are the peacemakers. They shall be called sons of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. What does that mean to be a peacemaker? Well, to kind of like. I think you're onto something there. Not um, be the one to let if someone stirs up trouble, you you kind of you don't come back at them with twice as hard. Sure. But but is that but is that being a peacemaker or is that being a peacekeeper? I think that's absolutely required for peacemakers. It's a, being a peacemaker is being a number nine on the Enneagram. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it, it definitely helps. It definitely helps. Peacemakers are different than peacekeepers, and Jesus definitely calls us to be peacekeepers as well. Peacekeepers are those for who, when we are attacked, we do not retaliate. Jesus teaches us that. Jesus teaches us when we get smacked on one cheek, turn to him the other cheek also, right? Okay. When we're at, when we are forced to carry something for one mile, we carry it for two. When someone asks us for our, for our cloak, we give them our shirt also, right? These are all things Jesus said. By the way, all of those things just fight hard against our Western consumerist mindset. We are a people who love our rights, and we love to be able to tell people what they can and cannot do to us. But we have to ignore the teachings of Jesus to do it. We do, and that's exactly what most Americans do. Um, I got in a big fight on Facebook this weekend. It was really fun. Uh, with a couple people that attend this church, actually, which was great. Um, no, Pastor Rob had posted a, uh, a thing that talked about, it said, it said, the Holy Spirit will never lead you to plan the downfall of anybody else or another. I think he said of another or others, even your worst enemy. Okay, that's what he said. And I said, amen, Pastor. And that's all I said. Uh, but there was a whole lot of folks who did not agree with Pastor Rob's statement in the slightest. I saw some of their comments and I was like, they were being extraordinarily rude. And Rob, probably rightfully so, was not responding. So I had a minute. I said, (laughs) here we go. And I began to engage with these folks, knowing. One of them was like, where do you find this in scripture? So I said, well, here you go. And I gave him six separate scriptures from both Old and New Testament that spoke directly to this issue. 
he said, I asked Pastor Rob, not you, and that was where he left it, right? <laughs> and I was just like, well, the scripture's the scripture, so I don't really, you know. <laughs> you know, um, but how dare you, right? But then people continued to engage with me on this issue, on the issue of love your enemies, which is something Jesus taught us to do, correct? Jesus taught us to love our enemies. That is what he taught us to do. But that is not what Western liberal democratic values would tell us to do. All it said was the Holy Spirit will never lead you to plot the downfall of others, even your worst enemy. Why would someone even like think about arguing with that? Because it, it moves absolutely against the grain of a lot of folks around here, the kind of people that would post a sign in their front yard that says, like, I'm going to shoot the first shot in the air and the next one's going to, going to be on you or, you know, that kind of a thing. I, I mean, the kind of people that have on their back window, like, this is my family and it's guns, you know, like the kind of people that have that, that, okay, this is the country we live in. There may be people like that in this room. God bless you. I don't have any problem with you. You have a right to own a gun. I don't care about that. That's what I'm talking about. But the kind of folks who... would say things like, okay, if somebody breaks into my house, I'm going to shoot them dead because mm-hmm. that's my right. So the kind of people that believe shoot first, ask questions later. Okay. I would say to you, Jesus told us not to do that. Yes. Now, when someone breaks into my house, I don't know what I'm going to do because it's my kids, my wife right? And I may not respond in love (laughs) when I'm in that situation, but that doesn't mean that Jesus didn't tell me. Uh, Does that mean just allow people to steal from you? Well, I mean, I don't know that when... It's one thing to act to protect the innocent. It's another thing to have lethal intent. I think we at least need to get face-to-face with stuff like love your enemies. I think we need, at least need to get face-to-face with stuff like when, when they force you to walk a mile, walk two. When they slap you in the face, show them the other cheek. When they, I think we need to at least get acknowledge that Jesus said these things. And not only did he say them, but he said them in a culture, in a country, where it was very possible that, that is exactly the kind of thing that was going to happen to them. Roman soldiers in Rome were allowed to to just grab people off the street and hand them like their backpack and say, you're going to carry this for the next mile. And you could not tell them no. Rome had no Bill of Rights, FYI. Right? That's what it says. So Jesus was speaking directly to something that had happened to people in his crowd. And it was something that people in his crowd were very angry about. They didn't want to have to be forced. They didn't want to be in a position where they could be forced to do something they didn't want to do. And here's Jesus saying, not only should you do it, but you should do twice as much as they ask. This was a controversial statement.
The Old Testament gives you permission to respond in kind to anything that happens to you. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Someone slaps you on the cheek, you get to slap them back. But that's not what Jesus said. What Jesus said was someone slaps you on the cheek, turn to them the other cheek also like, here I am. He calls us to remain vulnerable. Not even to act to protect ourselves. Now, am I saying that whenever anybody wants to do anything to you, you should just let them? No, I don't think we're going that far. I don't. Jesus used a lot of hyperbole. Okay? Are you aware of hyperbole means exaggeration for the sake of making a point? So in other words, when you say, I've done this a million times, that's hyperbole. Okay? You have not done it a million times. You've done it four Right, but, but you say it because you want people to understand it feels like you've done it a million times. And Jesus often used hyperbole. So do I think that Jesus wants us to just allow people to do whatever they want to us all the time? No, I don't think that that's what Jesus was saying. But I do think Jesus was speaking to this thing in us that wants to stand up and uh, return evil for evil. Okay? That, that, that makes us go to the place where like, you're going to do bad things to me, I'm going to do bad things to you. There's a difference between saying, you don't get to do that to me, which is absolutely allowed. By the way, if you don't know how to communicate to someone else that, you, that they are not welcome to do something to you, you need to learn right now. Okay, that's friends and enemies. It is important that every single one of us is able to look at other people in the eye and say, what you are doing is not okay and it needs to stop. But we do that from love. And a peacemaker... A peacemaker, the best demonstration of a peacemaker is what Jesus did for us. Anyway, I had a long, unfruitful conversation where I tried to convince people who refused to be convinced that Jesus wants us to love our enemies. And they were telling me, so you mean we should love the Nazis? And I said, yeah. That doesn't mean we don't stop them from killing six million Jews. But it also means that when I have a chance to either put this person in prison or shoot them in the head, I choose prison and not shoot them in the head. Does this make sense? I'm not saying that they just get to do whatever they want all the time and we just have to deal. I am saying that I need to have two things going on in my heart. My well-being and theirs. And that is not easy to do. It's complicated. It's nuanced. Does everybody know what nuanced means? Okay, if something is nuanced. We're doing a lot of vocabulary work today. If something is nuanced, it means there are small details that matter. It's set in a good, it's set in a balance, and we can't just say things 
with a little, it means I can't say it in a sentence, I need to say it in a couple paragraphs. That's because it's nuanced. There's little things about it. I can't just make a Twitter-like statement and that's enough. I need, I need to expound on it. I need to set limits for it. I need to say, this is true, but only to a point. Our current culture despises nuance, which, which is infuriating. We need to be able to think thoughts that are bigger than 140 characters, okay, or 280, whatever it is now. So I want to make sure I understand this nu nuance. Um, so it's, it's um, letting people know this is true, but only to a certain point, and what you're trying to say is that um, the world, especially like here in America, we don't do that. We just let people know that like, okay, our way is true and their way is wrong, but we, we don't let them know that our way is true to a point, and beyond that point, we don't know. No. Oh. I mean, <laughs> what I'm, I mean that statements need to have defined boundaries and details matter. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that's what I mean. So, so we can, I can say something like Pastor Rob said, the Holy Spirit won't lead you to plot the downfall of others. Okay. Mm -hmm. One of the points, and I agree with this point that someone made towards me, was that the word downfall could have many meanings. If we're talking about that we shouldn't be plotting to frustrate or end someone's purpose to do harm, and we call that their downfall, because that could be called their downfall, we could say that President Trump, that the downfall of President Trump was that he didn't get reelected. We could say that. Now, President Trump's not dead, and no personal harm has been done to him, right? But it was his downfall in that he did not get reelected. And I, that's where nuance, that's, Yes, we should have been more nuanced. Pastor Rob should have been more nuanced in that word, in that that word could be broadly applied, right? And so nuance would be, and by downfall, I mean such and such and such and such, right? He just brings detail to the conversation. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, that's, that's important. Yeah, nuance is, is important just doesn't make for very clickable content, right? It just doesn't. Peacemakers are a people who step in between two people that are at war and bear the brunt of, their, of attacks from both sides in order to bring peace, okay? When I say Jesus was the greatest example of a peacemaker, Jesus is the one who never sinned, but he stepped in our place and took our sin upon himself, our punishment upon himself, our debt upon himself, and it was canceled on our behalf. And Jesus became our peacemaker. We have been reconciled to God because of what Jesus did for us. 
Did Jesus deserve to die on the cross? No. Of course not. The first of all, the first human ever to live a sinless life. He did not deserve to be nailed to a Roman cross. What's that? You said the first human ever. I said the only. Well, yeah. True. <laughs> the only. There was other humans that were. No. That lived sinless oh. lives. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> the sinless life thing. I thought you were talking about like humans in general. I was like, oh. Yeah. My bad. <laughs> yeah, there are other humans. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, were you talking about like nail being nailed on a cross? I was talking about humans in general. I didn't know you said sinless life. He wasn't the first human ever. No, he was the first human ever to to live a sinless life. And because, but Jesus lived, and so Jesus did not des, does not deserve the a criminal's death. Okay, Jesus stepped in between us and God, and he paved the way for peace between God and man. That is what a peacemaker does. A peacemaker is someone who bears in their, that they bear the cost of the reconciliation of two people. And that is not an easy thing to do, and it's not an easy thing to be. And I was not being a peacemaker when I decided to step in and arm up now, I will say this. I was kind. It was not derogatory. I did not say anything other than I just spoke to the reality. I got called multiple names. <laughs> I got maligned. I got, yes, I got, people said pretty mean things about me. And I did not return in kind, although I could have, I wanted to. I did type them out several times and then go, okay, Lord, I'm sorry, and delete them. Here's what I think of Lilith. Oh, you think this about me? Well, let me tell you about you. It's funny because, like, and then Jesus is like, I know that I'm not going to send it, but I still go and finish it. This may be a dumb question, but I said anything that popped this on my head. And would, like, so, like, Jesus dying on the cross, would that be, like, a form of, like, Back then, like a form of like the death penalty. Yes, okay. yeah, that's exactly what it was. Okay. Which is why several people in the past have have said Christians should stop wearing crosses and start wearing electric chairs because the cross has kind of lost its grisly meaning. Back in, back then, the cross not only was it a torturous and horrifying way to die, it was purposefully humiliating. That's why the Bible says that Jesus scorned the shame of the cross. They were hanging you up there in front of everyone. They would always put crosses right next to the road. And normally people would hang on the cross for days before they died. Not just a few hours. Days before they died reason that Jesus had the spear put through his heart, which he had already died at that point, but the reason that Jesus had the spear put through his heart was because uh, the, the Sabbath day was coming and the Romans just wanted it to be over quick. Um, this, we don't have time to leave him up there for days uh, because there's this big festival coming. And so that's why they ended up 
putting the spear up through Jesus' side. They wanted to make sure he was dead, so they pierced. They put it the spear through his heart, up underneath they, his rib cage. I didn't know they put it through his heart. I knew they put it in his side, and then like water and oil came out. Well, water and blood. Water but if you okay, so imagine Jesus is hanging up there. And I want to put a spear through his heart to make sure he's dead. Yeah. Okay, I have to come out like this. I can't go straight in because I'm not level with him. Yeah. I'm going to come from below, and I'm going to use my spear to go up under the rib cage and through the heart. And Jesus didn't feel that because he was already dead. But he still had the wound. So, um, yeah, crucifixion was, crucifixion was the Roman world saying to the person that was crucified and to everyone else, don't mess with us. This is what happens to people that mess with us. And it was the death penalty. And they had lots of other kinds of death penalties, hanging people, chopping their head off, etc. The Apostle Paul couldn't be crucified because he was a Roman citizen. He couldn't crucify Roman citizens. Okay, And so that's why he was just beheaded. <laughs> Does that make sense? Yeah, okay. I, just didn't, I didn't know that part of it. Yeah. Um, it was... Down, yes, but that was his request. He didn't feel worthy to be crucified in the same manner as Jesus, and so they crucified him upside down. And when you were talking about the other death penalties, wasn't one of the other disciples, like, boiled alive or something? Yeah, but he survived. Oh. <laughs> that was John. Oh. He was boiled in oil and protected like the Hebrews in the furnace. Mm. He was hanging out. Hot tub. <laughs> I heard that. Really? I heard that. Fox's Book of Martyrs. Isn't that why they sent? So is that why they sent him to Patmos? Because they yeah, because they couldn't kill him, so they just yeah. sent him to the island of Patmos. Uh, and then he had his revelation visions. So didn't defeat Johnny. There's some Christian sects that believe that John is still alive. They think he's still. So where's Patmos? Because because yes, because Jesus said, what is it to you? Jesus said, what is it to you if he stays alive until I return? Jesus is not returned, and so people think. But in the book of John, John actually says, because of this, people have said that I'm not, that, that not going to die, but that's not what Jesus said. <laughs> so like, even back then, there was this kind of rumor that, well, John's going to be alive till Jesus comes back. Right? Which... <laughs> No, there's no reason to believe that. Be, I would love to meet him. I'd love to meet him if he was. Well, I don't think he's still on Patmos. Patmos is a small island, and he's not there. I have a kind of an unrelated question. Yeah. How long ago was this Facebook post? Was Saturday. Because he just deleted it. I'm pretty sure he deleted it. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he deleted it. There was a whole lot. After, com after, after machine gunning back and forth for like three hours, I finally just said, I'm tired of being, I'm tired of being insulted, so I'm done talking now. Because 
the, the last post that the person I was talking to made called me five different names in the post. And I'm like, dude, I have not said one unkind thing about you or even about your point of view. I have just been calmly debating, and this guy just was getting angrier and angrier and angrier, of course. And then he was, the last comment, most of it was in all caps, and he called me multiple names, and I was just like, I'm not here to be insulted, so I'm done. You can you keep... You just get out? I, no, I typed that. Oh. I, I said, I'm, I'm, finished, I'm finished with this conversation. If you have to insult me to get your point across, you don't deserve my attention. So I, I'm just, yeah, I mean, because I was, I was talking to multiple people back and forth. One of the guys kind of bowed out of the conversation and he was very cordial and very kind. And, and he said, thank you for having this discussion with me. That was his last post. And I was like, that, see, that's what, and I said, I appreciate what you had to say too. Because that was great. We had a good conversation. And then this other guy just came flying in with his... Nonsense. Was nonsense. I've Utter and I've complete gotten, nonsense. I've seen like arguments. I feel like even the, even like the people that do end it civil be like, okay, well, thanks for having this conversation or thanks for your input or something. Yeah. They still are just so frustrated. They're like, like uh, I don't agree with your point of view, but thanks for, <laughs> I don't know. And they're just... <laughs> well, and fine, you know, I'm totally okay with if people go away from a conversation with me and we have not agreed. That's fine. But let's let's love each other enough not to be jerks right. to one another. There's no reason to go there. And I would ask the question, if you're so insecure that this kind of conversation makes you angry, then maybe there's something wrong with your point of view. I mean, honestly, we're talking about something pretty fundamental to Christian faith. Love of enemy is something Jesus commanded us to do. And the fact that you're sitting here just railing against me because I won't budge on, but Jesus told me to love my enemy. (laughs) I mean, that's kind of what I wanted to do is just keep saying, but Jesus told me to love my enemy. And then they say like 20 things that would just be like, but Jesus told me to love my enemy. Well, one of the people said to me, First, there's this thing that's going around on Facebook right now, stay in your lane, which I, I've heard that before, but not in this. Like, if you disagree with me, you're not allowed to comment on my post. <laughs> like, that's what people are using yeah, that to mean right now. Yeah, people are tripping because, like, why would you post it on Facebook if it's... Exactly. Like, comment section. <laughs> it's like, uh, you, you know, you can... If, if I make a post that I don't want anybody to comment on, I will say no comments, please, or something like right. that. Or I'm not going to argue with you, so don't even attempt. Um, but, and I've done that a few times. Well, like, don't, don't think about it. <laughs> I mean, seriously, though. Um, but uh, uh, no, the, it's, there's this kind of thing that like, hey, we're just going to sit over here and, and scream about more and more ridiculous conspiracy theories, and you don't, get to, you don't get to comment on that. But you did do this on Facebook. If you want to do that, go to Parlor. okay? That's where all of you... Yeah, what is Parler? 
Parlor is a is a Facebook is it's a social network a lot like Facebook, and it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't like doesn't filter yeah you know how Facebook if you make a comment about the election it'll say here's the election results or or sometimes it'll actually just block your post completely Parlor doesn't do any of that. Which means it's a great place to go if you just want to spew hate. Yeah. A lot of people are getting on Parlor, and I'm like, I just don't have time to get on when I'm on already. My thing is, <laughs> echo chambers are not safe. Not for the not for anyone that are in them. They're not. It's that is how you become radicalized, and hijack a plane and run it into a building, okay? That's, that's not... When the only opinions that you ever hear from your whole life are people that agree with you, you are in a bad place. It's, it's just not good. And so, yeah, I... But... What are you going to do? I always have a problem with people that are angry with Facebook for doing... for... for doing what Facebook wants to do with its own website. I, I have issues with that. I'm like, um, you are receiving this service for free, yeah. right? You're not paying for this. And you're on here. If you don't like what they have, what they're doing with the stuff that you're putting on their website, why don't you just not? Yeah. You can create your own website and put it wherever you want. I don't know. I, I just have a problem with that. So there was this whole thing going around for a long time. Did you guys see the whole thing? How many of you are actually on Facebook? Me. You remember the thing, like a couple years ago? What's that? Do you mean like logged on to it or actually well, look at it? Either one. <laughs> I don't. I if I could leave Facebook, I would have left a long time ago. Would you rather do Twitter? I, I can't because, well, I do Twitter a lot more, but I, I can't leave Facebook because my whole church is on it and it's the best way for me to communicate with them. So, so I'm on it. But anyway, there was this thing going around years, like a year ago or two years ago where it was like saying Facebook soon is going to be able to use your photos to, to, to put places and blah, blah, blah. They're going to... And you have, to, you have to copy this post and say in the comments, like, you do not have my permission to share my stuff. I hate oh, yeah. those things. And I was just like, my post was, hey, Facebook, if I don't want you to have my photos, I won't give them to you. Thanks. <laughs> use, use whatever you want. Like, because I'm just, you're on their website. The other thing that boggles my mind is when people put things on Facebook, but then they're mad at you for reading them. No, it happens all the time. When somebody gets on, now I used to I used to watch the Facebook feeds of the kids in my youth group a lot, and I would confront them. If somebody got on there and said, "My mom is a bee," okay, I, I would I would talk to them about it. I'd give them a call or I'd send them a Facebook message and be like, "Hey, that's not okay. You're you know you're supposed to be honoring your father and mother." Now, if your mom made you angry. 
I understand. And if you want to talk about that, we can. But you don't get to go on Facebook and call her a bad word. And people will get so mad at me for reading what they put on a website where that is meant for people to read what they put. I had someone else in our youth group that came out as bisexual on, uh, on Twitter, I think it was, okay? And their parents saw it there and called them and said, hey, if this is something you've been feeling or something that's real to you, like, we would have loved to have had that conversation with you before it became public knowledge. And this person was furious that their parents knew. And I'm like, you put it on Twitter. <laughs> Where's the smarts in that? Putting them on Twitter. So the whole word, um, Twitter tweet, tweets are Googleable, okay? Are you serious? Yes. I can Google tweets and, and put, I mean, they're searchable, all right? This is not, <laughs> this is public. Mm-hmm. And you're mad? I don't understand. Anyway. It has nothing to do with being a peacemaker. So let's finish up. Being a peacemaker, okay, what Jesus is calling us to do, he's calling us to seek reconciliation. The Apostle Paul taught us that we are ministers of reconciliation. I'm going to read that to you. It's Corinthians, uh, 2 Corinthians 5. Okay, starting with verse 11. Since then we know what it is to fear the Lord, we try and persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you the opportunity to take pride in us so that you can answer those who take... I'm just going to skip ahead for a minute. Okay, verse 14. For Christ's love compels us because we're convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view, though we once regarded Christ in that way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of the, or wait a minute, reconciling the world to himself, not counting. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them, And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The Apostle Paul was calling us to be the ministers of reconciliation. 
between God and man and between man and man, human and human. We are called to be a people who is pointing towards love God and love people. That that should be our primary message. That God has canceled every debt that stands between you and him. So come home. Come home. Be reconciled. God's not mad at you anymore. And God isn't pushing you away anymore. Not that he ever really was, but even if you, he had re, you had reason to think so because of your sin, now your sins are forgiven. Come home to Jesus. This is our reconciliation. By the way, that's the gospel. The gospel is this. Your sins are forgiven. Come home. That's the gospel, y'all. Not, you're an evil, foul, horrible human being, and you need to get yourself right. I just preached the gospel. No, you did not. That was bad news, not good news. And besides, do you think anybody doesn't know that about themselves? Okay, there's a couple people that don't know that about themselves. But that doesn't mean it's our job to teach them. The conviction of sin is the Holy Spirit's job, not the church's. The church's job is to say, God has forgiven your sin, come home. By the way, did you know that our sins are forgiven before we come back to Christ? It's the I truth. Know, I, thought, I thought, well, it makes sense, though, because, because God, already, God already knows what you need before you ask him and if you need forgiveness. At just the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. God already forgave you, but that doesn't mean that you have accepted that forgiveness. Yeah. Forgiveness is my decision. Sam, if you did something to me, mm -hmm. right? And we were no longer friends because of that, <laughs> okay? And then I said, you know what, I forgive you. Do you have any choice about that? No. No, but that doesn't mean we have to be friends again. Right. That is up to you, isn't it? Yeah. That's the difference. Mm -hmm. Forgiveness is my decision, not yours. And it was God's decision, not ours. He chose to forgive us before we ever said anything about Jesus. But that's not, that's not the end. Salvation is a relationship with God. Are you with me right now? Salvation is a relationship with God. And until we come, until we say, what, I'm forgiven? Then I'm coming home. That's when salvation is happens. It's when we come home and we build a relationship with Jesus. It's not just about getting a clean slate. It's about coming home. It's about purity of heart. And the ministry of reconciliation looks like this. Hey, God's already forgiven you. Go home. Or, hey, he's sorry and I've paid the bill for what, for what he did. So be friends again. Okay, final story. Because I know we're late. When this building was built, this building we're standing in right now. Okay. When this building was built, there were a lot of contractors who did a lot of work and who did not get paid for what they did. Okay. Remember, First Assembly of God did not build this building. Yeah, Calvary Temple built it, right? Yes. 
Okay? There were a lot of contractors who did work on this building and were never paid. When First Assembly bought this building, recognizing that we were to be a ministry, that we had the Ministry of Reconciliation, we approached those contractors and offered to pay for the work that had been done. Some of them said, it's about time, thank you very much, and took the check. <laughs> Some of them said, I don't need, you don't need to do that. Um, just, you know, counted, you know, give me giving credit or something, but you don't, you don't need to pay me for that. But I want you to know how much, how healed I am because you've made the decision to pay for something that you didn't buy. Does that make sense? We didn't do it to them. But Jesus called us to be peacemakers. And so we stepped into the place of the one who caused offense and we fixed the problem. We've been called to be peacemakers. Let's do it. So Calvary Temple got a free building and they didn't pay anything? Not a free building. <laughs> Not every contractor. There was just a few contractors that did work that never got paid or never got paid in full oh. for the work. Okay. All right, y'all. Lord bless you and keep you, make his face to shine upon you and give you peace.